0: Please note that we will have traffic again on Genesee, so make sure you take the detour on Regents or Town Center Drive. And now we would like to
1: invite up Cheryl Thompson. Okay. This is a bittersweet day, Cheryl, because for us, uh, Cheryl is moving to Atlanta. And that's not, I'm not trying to be disrespectful of Atlanta as much as I'm saying, uh, somebody has to live there. Um, so Cheryl, it feels like at this season of her life, she's been a phenomenal uh, teacher in public schools. And Atlanta and it, it it seems like the, the right place to, to move in this next season of life. And that God is leading her there. And so we are saying goodbye to Cheryl. But we're doing that by way of commissioning her, because she is a secret weapon. Uh, she is a woman of prayer and a woman who uh, loves God, and loves people, and is constantly looking out for ways to bring the two together. And so they have no idea in Atlanta what going to hit like when Cheryl lands. So what I'm going to be praying for is not Cheryl, but for Atlanta. Uh, <laughs> that they would be ready uh, to respond uh, to this force of nature. And also, of course, for Cheryl, because it's sad for us to say goodbye to her. But we're really saying, uh, OK, we're going we're to pray for you as God leads you into what we would understand as the uttermost parts of the earth. No, Atlanta. <laughs> Just Atlanta. Um, but it's not here. So that's the sad part of us. It's not here. And so, um, at the risk of... Uh, look, if you want to talk to her, talk to her after the service because if, if we start talking now, we'll go on for the rest of the service, I think. Because you have a lot of stories to tell about why you're doing this. So, I'll uh, let pray for you So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this dear and godly woman. Uh, that has been such a gift to this congregation uh, for so many years. I pray, Lord, that you would, in every way, confirm that this is your call in her life. Uh, through the people she meets, uh, you've already confirmed it through the house that she has purchased. Right? And now, Lord, we pray that you'd help her connect with the church and not only feed her and support her in her mission in Atlanta, but also that she could then, uh, likewise, support and, and encourage in their mission in Atlanta. And at this point, would be a wonderful partnership with Cheryl and, and whatever church that is that you're leading her to, just as it has been here. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you've encouraged and supported and blessed us, and through word and through prayer, uh, through her godly uh, character and, and wise counsel. And now, Lord, we pray that uh, for for the city of Atlanta and for a congregation there. And we pray for Cheryl, that as she makes that inevitable uh, grief and loss process, that the, the wonder And the invitation of this new season uh, would fill her with joy uh, and curiosity. And and what a wonderful, vibrant uh, city that is, Lord. And so we we pray that that would be such a gift to her after working uh, to serve others so hard, that this would be a wonderful season of renewal and refreshment for her in that beautiful place. So we commit her to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. worse than goodbyes um, but there is nothing better than knowing that you're doing what God is calling you to do I hope every one of us is seeing our life from that perspective what season of life are you in? what is God calling you to do in this season of life whether you stay here or change your perspective while you stay here or change your zip code uh, just listen to him carefully and do whatever he calls you to do because he will bless you and bless others through you so please be sure to talk to Cheryl Officers and stuff. of What's going on in Atlanta? And now we just stand and turn and say hello to the people around you. <laughs>
2: when they put others first and act as bridge builders. We want to try that right now. If you would put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. And we're going to take a moment and we're going to pray for that person. If you know them, you know what their needs are. If you don't know them, that doesn't matter. Just lift them up to the Lord. So take a moment to pray and to receive as we go into this next phase. You know what we want. You know where we are. And we're asking you to meet us here. We love you. We give you this church. We invite you here. In Jesus' name. This night. Oh, God, forgive us. When we get to the final of the bridge, you're welcome to sing us along with us. We just did a good part. With our white flag sailing in the night as we surrender to you, Lord. Eyes pointing to the sky, hands up and open wide.
1: Because without love, we all perish. Because the earth and the stars can and will pass away. But love, love
2: will always remain. You can I watch over for a moment? Mm-hmm.
1: These goosebumps. Uh, I'm Steve I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, thank you for this worship. Uh, wow. Uh, what a gift it is to be in the presence of God with people who are opening their hearts and their minds <laughs> to Him um, in ways both conventional and uh, unconventional. We're doing a series called Thrive. Uh, this is what follows Easter, uh, Easter the Resurrection of Jesus, and we started this series by uh, looking at Jesus' final words to His disciples where He said, all authority... In heaven and on earth belongs to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you. And I will be with you always. Uh, And then when he gathered them together uh, before his ascension into heaven, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth all the way to the mental, beyond. And so, um, in that context, we're reflecting, what does it mean uh, to be a disciple of Jesus? One who's an apprentice, a learner, a friend, a follower, uh, a participant, a partner in God's mission in the world. And so we're talking about thriving in Him. If you open up uh, this bulletin that you got when you walked in, there's a, an order of worship and uh, the message is, is this. It's a long title. It's really a description. Disciples of Jesus, why would they put others first and act as bridge builders? Disciples of Jesus, why would they put others first and act as bridge builders? This has been the challenge of the people of God. since Jesus uh, commissioned us uh, to be his disciples and to make disciples. And uh, it's been rough because the church is always in tension. The church is always in tension because it's always trying to build bridges to those who are not part of the church. Not part of the church as an institution, uh, but it's like if you had a child lost. You, you, you tell the family, you've got to go find that child. Uh, this is the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther. And Martin Luther is one of those guys that, that broke out of the cultural restraints of uh, hemming in the gospel. Uh, this is not so much a Catholic Protestant issue as much as him saying, hey, the gospel's for all people. And he had the audacity to, to translate the Latin Bible into German. Everybody knows the Bible was given by God in Latin. Why? Why? Oh, wait. Well, that's right. It was in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. Okay. But still, why? And in this 500th anniversary, if there were some of those people who didn't like Martin Luther here today, they'd say, "500 years hasn't been long enough for everybody to be in the Greek," because that was outrageous. Why was it outrageous? Because it was building a bridge to more people. And this is something that we're uncomfortable with. And you know what? though we have a really great role model for this, moms. For the most part, moms have been the chief coaches and guides showing us how to be bridge builders. Why? Because moms tend to be the primary caregiver for most kids. And once something tragic happened, you had a mom who was preparing you for life. She said, honey, I know it's really fun here with me, but you're going to love preschool. Uh, and then when preschool and caregiver were feeling really comfortable, mom said, hey, uh, we're going to first grade today. Well, actually, not we, but you will be going to First today. And moms have been the, the way for us to bridge the gaps in the world. And so I want, to, I want to give you a summary of this sermon. So this is a summary of what I'm going to say this morning. Uh, it's this. Mind the gap. Perhaps this is familiar to you. How many of you have heard this said by a disembodied voice on a platform for the two in London, right? You know, mind the gap. And I just heard, read, actually, that about a month ago, the guy whose voice you hear, who first recorded this, died. But his voice lives on. And so when I hear this, when I'm in London and I hear this, mind the gap, I always start laughing, or if I'm with Lauren or Megan or Janet, I'll leave brother. But I always hear it not as just a safety warning, don't follow the little crack between the, the platform and the train. I hear it as a commission. I hear it as a commission for my mission. Mind the gap. Be on the lookout, Steve, for those gaps that separate people from me. You know a funny thing? It's not so much funny as a humorous, but an odd thought. That the church doesn't exist for itself. It, it, it does not exist for its members. It's people play its members. The primary audience of the church are the people who aren't here. That's an odd thought. And offensive for some people. How dare you suggest that the church is about me? I funded it, I founded it, or whatever your role is. And those of us who have funded it and have founded it would say, well, no, it's our church, for crying out loud. Uh, No one has to change it. It's really comfortable the way it is. But the fact is that we're the secondary audience of the church. That's always been the case in history. And that's why there's been this tension in the church throughout history, because the church is always saying, what if we minded the gap and figured out how to build a bridge to those who aren't here? Yeah, but they don't speak our language. They don't like our food. They don't do the things that we do so comfortably. Yeah, we might have to make some accommodations, but what's more important? That we'd be satisfied and happy in our own little cocoon, or if we're going to blossom, you know, to change metaphors. If we're going to merge our cocoon and be a butterfly, so to speak If we're going to be a witness to God and His glory, we've got to mind the gap. So this becomes one of just a conceptual abstraction. This becomes a personal decision. Where will your feet lead you? Where will you command your feet to take you? As you stand on that line, that safety line, because when you step in that car, when you bridge that gap, you're going somewhere. Maybe it's somewhere that's routine. I've been to this part of London before. Or maybe it's a part of London you haven't seen yet, and you're trying to navigate the pathway. You're looking at the map of all the colors of the, of the different routes of the trains, and, and you're to, you know that you're on an adventure. Even if you think you know where you're going, when you start minding the gap, you don't know really what's going to happen. Why? Because you're no longer in control. You make decisions, and you make commitments, but you're no longer in control. You're trusting that God will lead you and guide you. And your life becomes one long, ongoing divine appointment. If you see your life as a dull routine, start seeing your life as an ongoing series of divine appointments. In the midst of your dull routine, maybe God is bringing divine appointments that you're not seeing, divine opportunities that you're not paying attention to. So here's the thing. Jesus came to bridge the divide that separates all humanity from God and one another. That divide that exists within me. I don't know who I am, but for God revealing who I really am. Speaking my true name. Telling me that I'm no longer a spiritual orphan, but I'm a beloved son, a beloved child by faith. Uh, The the divide that exists between me and everybody around me, or my culture and other cultures. And so in Christ, you have a role to play in reaching across gaps. To connect people. That's a high and holy calling. It's a high and holy calling because it connects us to the work of God in the world. You're crazy. Ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips. Right? Why? Because I recognize you wherever I go. I'm listening for you wherever I am. I'm trying to have a heart for the world like you have a heart for the world. And so it's Jesus who commands us of us. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and, and to the ends of the earth. The word witnesses is the word martyr. We think of the word martyr as just describing dead people. The word martyr is simply witness, and sometimes it comes at the cost of one's life. But the main thing is what you are witnessing to, even upon pain of death, even risking one's life to be a witness. Uh, to be a really good witness of Christ does not require being a martyr but it might. And then Peter, one of Jesus' disciples said this, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Honor Him as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is within you. But do this with gentleness and respect. And so this is how we thrive. We thrive because we have hope, the hope of Christ. It's not just a hope of wishful thinking, for the hope of good intentions. I just want to be better. I just want to get it right this time. It's not a self-improvement program. It's our response to the, the one alone who can transform us. So our authority comes from Him. Our humility comes from Him. Every good perfect gift comes from Him and is given to us. Why? Because He loves us and wants us to experience fullness of life that he alone can provide, even in the midst of life's worst possible circumstances. And so we have hope because Jesus is Lord. Not hope and hope, but because Jesus is Lord. It's not enough to say to someone, you can be saved, here's how. Because everybody, everywhere has a version of that. The the, the message that we have, the way that we bridge these gaps is unique because God has made it unique. It's this. Because Jesus is Lord, you can be saved. And you're saved. And so when I'm talking to somebody about my faith, it's not me trying to come up with a killer app, a killer argument, to win an argument, to talk them in or out of something. It's simply bearing witness to what God has done in me. That is so powerful. It's shocking me because it takes the focus off of me and puts it on him. Let me describe him to you. Uh, when I was in high school, I was a, a new Christian, senior year. My friends always kidding me about being a follower of Jesus now. And, and so uh, we were in the, one of my classes we were talking about, they're asking me questions about Jesus, kind of mocking, really, you know, good naturedly, but high school mocking. You can't tell the difference, actually. It's mocking and it's good nature all the same time. And there's this girl sitting there who had moved uh, to our high school from, I don't know where she lived, somewhere in the Middle East. And I had no idea what a Muslim was. And she's listening to me about Jesus. She says to me, so you believe in Jesus? I said, yeah. She said, well, who is he? I said, well, you know, Jesus. You know, Christmas, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) She said, I'm coming out of my culture. I'm I'm, like new to this, you know. And she said, well, no, I don't know. I said, honestly, you don't know anything about Jesus? She said, no. What would you do? I'm like, uh, well, uh," I started telling the story. I said, well, I read this book called a Bible in this part called the New Testament. And a part of that New Testament called the Gospels means good news, it's a story about Jesus and what God did coming into the world. Jesus is God in the world. And I started talking about all the things that I had learned and why I was now a follower of Jesus and why I had lots of questions and I was figuring things out and, by, and why I found it really helpful that I was part of a group of people helping me understand it. She just listened very respectfully, very quietly and kept asking me questions. We stepped outside after the class was over, kept asking more questions. She said, thank you very, very much. I had no know anything. Well, fast forward. Now I'm in college several years later, and I'm a volunteer leader in life. You know, and I'm involved in this church and student leadership sort of thing as a college kid. And I'm up in front of the church doing something, and um, the pastor then, uh, after I, whatever I was doing, the pastor gets up and says, hey, you know, let's just take a moment to say, what are you thankful for? How has God been working in your life? You can share with us. And so, it was this kind of body life moment, you know? And so, people are standing and say, Well, this happened, that happened. All of a sudden, this woman stands up, college girl. It's a woman who I was talking to in high school. I hadn't seen her for, you know, three years or so. And she said, I'm here because of him. <laughs> oh, no. You can imagine. That's this long haired college guy. And people are like, What did he do? That sweet girl. Why is she standing up here accusing him of church? She said, I'm here. Because I asked him who Jesus was, and he told me. And since he told me, I've been learning more and more about Jesus, and now I'm a follower of Jesus, and my life is changing, and I want to thank God, and I want to thank him. I was blown away, because I was so inarticulate. Uh, I have not changed much either, since then. I was just grasping to try to tell the story correctly. Because I simply wanted to give a reason for the hope that is within me. And that made it possible for me to bridge a gap that I didn't even understand how big the gap was. So because he is Lord, the disciples, his disciples, build relational bridges that lead to spiritual transformation and social impact. Spiritual transformation is what God does in us. Social impact is what God does through us. You always know that God is at work, God is up to something, a person or a community, when there is social impact. By social impact, I mean this. You start saying to your wife, I'm really sorry. Would you forgive me? You start saying to your kid, I'm really sorry. Would you forgive me? You start saying to your parents, I'm really frustrated. Can we talk? You start saying to your friends, hey, you know what? Uh, I know we talk about these things. Can we talk about some of these things? Because these things are really nagging at me, this whole thing about God. And we pierce through superficial things. We pierce through conflict. We start saying, you know, God's given me a lot. Why am I so selfish about it? How about if I start sharing with people who have desperate needs around me in the community? So there's a social impact. Let that sink in. You don't have to have a committee or an organization to have social impact. But when enough people form some critical mass and say, we all care about the same thing, let's get organized and be more efficient, then you see these wonderful movements, these social movements. And throughout history, Christians have been a part of those social movements. If you go to a great, one of, the, one of my favorite places in, in, um, in Florence is a square. It still hasn't been redone into anything but a Renaissance Square. And there's a place where nuns used to live. They don't live there now. And they built a wheel out of, out of wood. And if you had a baby you didn't want anymore, you put it on the wheel and ring the bell, and they turn the wooden wheel, and they take the baby. I met a guy recently whose grandfather was the last baby on the wheel. We were talking about Florence and about that how was that part of Florence. He goes, oh my gosh, my grandfather told me the story of him being the last orphan baby placed on that wheel. And then how the family came to the United States to help this island and all that stuff. So this is the power of the gospel. Spiritual transformation, social impact. Do you agree? Do you agree with that? And then do you agree with this? I love this quote from Isaac Newton. We build too many walls and not enough bridges. We build too many walls and not enough bridges. And do you agree with that? It's embarrassing to think about how often we defer to partitions to keep ourselves from having to deal with life rather than saying, all right, this is a moment to start building a bridge from, from, from me to you from this to that, because I see a gap. Well, I want to talk about a biblical example of this. It's all of chapter 10 in the book of Acts. Acts is simply uh, uh, an account written by Luke, who was a physician, followed, um, uh, he became a follower of Jesus, not personally from Jesus, but through a guy named Paul, who was a rabbi who became uh, a spokesperson uh, for this new movement of God's spirit in Christ. And He he conscripted Luke who was a, a Greek Position to be his partner in that. And so we see uh, at Caesarea, a city on the coast of Israel, now a ruin, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, who was known as the Italian regiment. So he's an Italian military officer. A centurion was an officer of over 100 people. If you've ever done a century ride on your bike, he's 100. Here's a picture of this place. It's It's an amazing accomplishment. To me, it's one of the wonders of the ancient world. Why? Because that's not a natural harbor. That was, I think, the first fully functional man-made harbor ever built. And there's no water there. They built a massive aqueduct that came from the mountains far, far away to bring water to this place. And so this is where the Romans controlled Palestine. They had a big fortress right next to the temple in Jerusalem. But this is on the coast. Here's a picture of it today. Some of us have been there. It's It's a magnificent place. And just below the bottom of the screen, there's an amphitheater where they still have um, opera or, or concerts or whatever. So that's where, where Cornelius lived. And he and all his family were devout and god fearing which meant that he had somehow let go of the Roman uh, gods who were borrowed from the Greek gods or, or, or worshipping the, the Caesar. And now he was attracted to this God he saw, his Jews, worshipping. And so that status was called a god fear. I'm not Jewish, but I'm really attracted to what's going on here. And he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And one day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. Uh, something that he'd never had before. Something unique to him. He hardly had a category for it. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Well, Cornelius stared at him in fear. This is a battle hardened officer. He would not be in Palestine if he wasn't. Palestine is a really tough village. And if you've been battle tested in Italy and in Europe, you are ready to go be in Palestine. And so here he is, unnerved by this experience of a vision. What is it, Lord? He asked. The the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who was called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So this is what that looks like. In uh, the foreground is, I'm pointing because there's a screen behind you on the wall, but there's a, in the foreground is a city, the ancient city of Joppa, been repurposed as a little boutique kind of place where you can buy expensive crickets. Stuff. But then behind it is the city of Tel Aviv, the largest city in Israel. And just up the coast, 30 miles of Caesarea. So when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa, So 30 miles south from where they are, they had set up. And about noon, this is a coincidence, God is always working on multiple layers and levels of things. When you pray to God about something, he's usually going to make it a much more comprehensive thing than you're going to be even aware of. And typically, God's already going to work So by the time you're prompted to pray, it's usually God prompting you because something else is going on that you're going to be a part of or he wants you to be a part of. Or you might be an incidental player, but God is up to something. And when you feel prompted to pray, pray. And don't assume you know what's going on. If you have a vision, don't assume you know what it means, but just pay attention to what God might be doing. So about near the following day, as these three travelers were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter, meantime, went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. As you know, houses in the Middle East have flat roofs so people could go up, sit under the starlight, and get out of the house that's so small, and be uh, up there in the cool air. So he falls into this trance, and he saw heaven open, and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners, and it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get yeah, up, Peter, kill a deer. Now, Peter is a follower of Jesus, but he's also a true blue Jew who's grown up keeping kosher, recognizing foods that are, that, are, that are acceptable and those that are not. Foods that we would consider acceptable would not be acceptable to them. Lobster? No. Uh, pig? No. Certain kinds of words? Uh-uh. Uh, and so he had internalized so this and this is part of his whole identity culturally now personally now conflated with his whole faith it's more of the same And now I'm in Jesus he heard Jesus say I've not come to abolish a law, but to fulfill it so now this voice the war apparently is telling him to kill and eat what's in his sheep in his vision but even in this dreamlike state he says no way surely not Lord Peter replied I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now you might say, this is such an obscure thing, I can't relate to it. Oh, really? I can give you a zillion examples of things that push your buttons culturally. Whether it's how we you worship here right now, whether well, it's what your kids want to do, what your parents want to do, what the culture around you is doing. Hey, that's not proper. There are things that you would have been scandalized by 30 years ago that you take for granted right now in our culture. You know the three biggest issues in the 1940s in American schools? Talking in class, running in the halls, and shooting gun. <laughs> oh, for those days, right? <laughs> you have to have gun detectors, not metal detectors, at the gates you know, going into schools. So now, he's wrestling with this, the pure... Unclean, and God telling me something else is happening here. It's not God changing his mind, it's God fulfilling his promises. So Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. Who knew from a cultural perspective what that would look like? We're seeing an example of that in Peter's life right now. And so while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out. Uh, where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate, he called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. This had got to have been an unnerving moment. A Roman soldier and two assistants is asking for you, Peter. Oh, um, that's interesting. Well, uh, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So the same, the same one who said, Don't call him through where I call. Him or By the way, these are three guys you don't know. Uh, one of them in uniform. Go with them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm going to look before why have you come. The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the Centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you he have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. This has got to be a very uncomfortable moment for Peter. First the vision, and now the visit. This is not a good day, as things go culturally. So the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell on his feet in reverence. This is an incredible leader, this centurion a man accustomed to respect and people obeying his orders. Peter perhaps felt like he had been summoned, but Cornelius had actually invited him, and now honored and humbled by his presence, falls to his knees. But Peter began to get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Wouldn't it be great if every leader you knew talked like that? Would that change the tenor of government, of community government, of community organizations, of every possible human relationship, if we made that kind of deference out of each other, if we offered each other the highest regard as a gift, powerful. So while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. With all due respect to Peter, this is not accurate. It is not against the law Revealing God's word that is so. The people of God were told to be separate, as in be a standard, be a no role model, reflect what I'm doing. This is, this is not the law of God. This is the law of man. This is a cultural law. This is the interpretation of teachers of the law who said, This is how we should roll. In order to be separate in order to be separate, we should be really separate. And therefore, every Jewish man would pray up until very recent history. Dear God, Thank you for not making me a Gentile or a woman. Now hearing that, you want to complete the prayer, oh, and thank you for making me an absolute idiot. You know, <clears throat> But that was a prayer. And so Peter now so internalizes this with all authenticity. He's saying this is the law of our people. But it's not really the law of the people. It's the law that he's internalized as a, as a, as a believing, respectful Jew. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So Peter's turning. Where is he turning? To something that's foreign and uncomfortable? Yeah. But he's actually turning full circle to what God has promised Abraham. Why? What did God promise Abraham? I will bless you, Abraham, to be a blessing. All nations, all families on earth will be blessed with you. That means Gentiles. you know how many Jews there are in the world today? like 12 million Jews in the world. They are still meant to be a blessing to the nations. And that's a very complicated thing in our time today. But this promise that God made to Abraham was clearly at the heart of who Peter was, that had been obscured by any kinds of cultural rules and regulations. So Peter, to his credit, says, God show me, and I'm not going to do it anymore. Uh, no more in unclean if God says it's otherwise. So when I sent for it, I came without raising any objection. May I ask you why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour of in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts of the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who is by the sea. A little footnote here. Peter had already made a cultural shift he was not even aware of. He'd already crossed the law because Tanners were people that Jews were not supposed to spend time with. Why? Because they dealt with dead things. So because Simon was a Jew who is now a follower of Jesus, probably, Peter has, had comfortably made that transition because he's a fellow Jew who's now a follower of Jesus. The fact that he's a tanner isn't, isn't going to put me off anymore. But you see subtlety of this? You see how we have so internalized ways of seeing the world? That for us to thrive, for us to thrive, we've got to say, Lord, you're building a bridge to me. Now, now what would it look like for you to build a bridge through me? So, Cornelius says, I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Pause right now. What would you say in a situation like this? Like that young girl saying to me in high school, as a as a newly minted follower of Jesus. Just having figured out. I think they're repeating themselves. I've read the same story four times. Oh, that would be the four gospels, Steve. Oh, thank you for clarifying that. So here I am, what do I say? What did Peter say? Where does he start? With with Abraham? Did he talk about Isaiah? Did he talk about the law? Did he talk about the temple? Does he talk about exile? What would you say in this situation? Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism and <laughs> accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does shall his right. God is doing a bigger work than I ever imagined, Peter says. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is a radical disruption of human history. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. This is what we were saying a moment ago. When God falls, we fall at his feet. When the Spirit falls, we fall at his feet. Why? Because we're so overwhelmed by the goodness and the greatness, the magnificence of God. We have so reduced God to something so trite and such a cliche that nobody feels like falling at his feet. When we start to see God for who he is, it unnerves us, it unhinges us in a way that's good. It puts us into our right mind. And all of a sudden, we start doing things with our bodies to express that. We open our hands to God, we lift our arms to God, we get on our knees before God, we fall on our face, we sit quietly, we get up and sing loud songs. We do all kinds of things to express this experience. And so he goes on to say, all the prophets, I mean, uh, that that that, um, the circumcised believers uh, who, yeah, so the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, "Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have." So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with him for a few days. So, what's going on here? God is simply fulfilling what he's promised. Started with Abraham, reiterated through all the prophets, made real throughout the Old Testament, confirmed in Christ, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, and then documented in the New Testament. God was building a bridge to the Gentiles. And we see the way the psalmist said in 96, Psalm 96:3, now being fulfilled, declare, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Well, so how do you build a bridge? I mean, bridges can look so many different ways, and still accomplish the purpose for which they were built. There's so many kinds of bridges, right? But basically, if I was, to summarize, it, I started thinking of words that came to mind. Well, I built it carefully, methodically, artfully. A little design helps, right? Thoughtfully, innovatively, faithfully. Don't want people to suffer damage on the bridge. Respectfully to the to the way it'll be used and the environment it's in. Specifically, what's the purpose? Progressively, little by little, I can build it. Diligently, technically, this is all true and all good. But here is the reality for us: we prefer building walls. Bridges are really inconvenient. Walls are so much more convenient because if I can't see it. I don't have to think about it. We build walls to avoid things that burden us. Burdens are heavy things that we carry, deep emotions, big feelings, anger, frustration, miscommunication, misunderstanding. Where do these burdens come from? Well, to, to, to simplify it, it it's, it's, we're burdened by sin, this flaw in our nature, the flaw in the created world that weighs us down with and behaviors, separating us from everybody that matters. God, self, family, spouse, children, others. Two brothers were separated because they had been brothers, you know, obviously their whole life, now they're middle-aged men with family, but they had it falling out. And instead of repairing it, they withdrew and they became ever more um, distant from each other, more set in their ways that I was right, he was wrong. And so finally, uh, one of the brothers said, I've had enough of this. He, built a, he, he connected a canal. Dividing the property to the river where they got their water. And now this this water barrier between the two properties. And an itinerant carpenter was coming through and said, Hey, you do you need any to work on the property? And he said, No, nah. oh well, yeah, I take that lumber and build me a fence. I have to look at my lousy brother's property. And he told him why uh, he didn't want to see his brother. And the carpenter said, Okay. And the, and the brother said, Look, I, I'm going to be gone for a few days. When I come back, I want the, I want the fence to be done. Okay. I think I know what to do. And so, when the the brother returned from being out of town, he's looking for the fence. He doesn't see a fence. He sees a bridge. And what's worse, he's really mad. He's walking for the bridge. He looks on the other side of the bridge. There's his brother walking over the bridge. Now he's really mad. He gets on the bridge to walk toward his brother. And his brother is holding his arm up, saying, I am so sorry. I was such a fool. It took your humility and your goodwill and your love to set me straight. I am so sorry for what I've done and the embrace on the bridge. A powerful picture. A powerful picture. It can happen at a big little level where you just get kind of nicked by each other, you know, in a marriage or in a family. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to control you. I'm not trying to hurt you. Forget it. Let's talk about it. We're in a big one. Massive fall down, Big betrayals. But you want to bridge your burdens, turn your burdens into a bridge. Don't build a wall against them. I mean, Jesus said it this way. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? They're not even paying them to do that. Be perfect as your Father in Heaven is perfect. He's talking to believers. We live in a culture right now where Christendom is passé. We're in a post-Christendom culture. Christendom simply means the fact that that something that looks like Christianity owns all the levers of power in a culture. And whatever they choose to do with that power is called Christian. And we are at the end of Christendom. Christendom no longer exists. We just see the vestiges of it. And there's some things about Christendom that we're really good. In God we trust. It's a wonderful slogan. It's a veritable truth. But we live in a post-Christian culture, and and therefore, what does the the follower of Jesus, the church of Jesus Christ, committed to him, not not compromising or believing the gospel, what do we do in the face of Christendom? Either we try to get back those reins, those levers of power, and complain that we can't get them. Or we retrench, and we build fences and walls to hide behind. What, what should we do? Well, what Jesus apparently is saying is that we need to engage the culture. We need to say, I know who I am in Christ, and I know what Christ is doing in this world. So I'm going to engage the culture. I'm not going to pretend I can tell anybody what to do. I have no power and control, but I have infinite influence. Because me and Jesus are a majority. Us and Jesus are, are a majority. But I'm going to have to rethink my cultural assumptions about what it means to be a of Jesus in a post-Christendom culture. If you find this ridiculous and impossible, it is. It is. It only makes sense if you are experiencing the love of God in Christ and growing emotionally. Because otherwise you'll stay angry and bitter. And you'll try to be nice, which is a superficial, passive-aggressive way of saying, I can't do anything else but get along and go along. There's a better version for us. It's called the fruit of God's spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no barrier that the gates of hell cannot prevail against this. And so instead of beating our chest and saying, the gates of hell cannot prevail, we're taking this country back. No. What we say is, uh, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We want everybody else to be citizens of that kingdom. And we will be respectful citizens in this country or any country we live in. But our allegiance is not, our primary allegiance is not to our country or our culture. It's to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the context of that, we make appropriate commitments to our country and our culture. But we're willing, in respectful and humble ways, to call our culture to account. Are you sure you really think that's the best expression of our culture? Is this really the best law to advance righteousness in, in in a culture? So we become absolutely engaged participants in the culture without presuming that we can tell anybody what to do. And this is powerful. It's a powerful paradigm shift for bridge women at all levels. Because like the Apostle Paul, who raged against the church until they met Jesus, like him, we say, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Because I regard everyone as a unique, repeatable miracle of God's handiwork. They might, they might not know it, and they might be fighting against it, but I know who they really are. And God knows who they really are. And so as Samuel Clunton said, I am a Christian with four reasons. I've got a perfect hand because God has given me the hand that I hold. So from now on, I regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's bridge That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. It's not to say he doesn't recognize our desperate need that sin kills us but rather there's, a, there's something bigger than sin it's the gift of salvation. There's something bigger than our puny human solutions it's the salvation of God. And so he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. Where are the gaps in your life? Is it in you right now? Is there a, a big gap in you? Godly counsel can walk you through a process of identifying that gap and finding healing and wholeness. Is there a gap between you and your spouse? Is there a gap between you and your kids? Is a gap between you and your neighbors? Is there a gap between you and your extended family? Is there a gap wherever? Are you involved in community efforts that recognize big gaps that are crushing people? Wherever you see those gaps, the world is not yours to save, but as you recognize those gaps, as you give mind to those gaps, have the mind of Christ and see what he would have you do the world is not yours to save, it's Jesus to save. He's calling you and me to be part of that process of redeeming the world. Amazing. Stunning. And so, Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for me and for my brothers and sisters here. I pray this for those who are here who don't know you and are not sure what they believe about you. That, Lord, as we come to know you, experience you, as our minds are transformed, as we find that you are, in fact, with us, and that all authority in heaven and our earth belongs to you. Teach us to know your ways and to do your will as we mine gap, as we build bridges in your name, now and forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: moment, the ushers will come forward to collect the morning's offering, but just want to remind everybody that if you need prayer today, we will have people who are happy to pray for you just around the sanctuary in the prayer garden, or you can write your prayer out on the uh, prayer request page of your bulletin and put that in the offering basket as it comes along. So let's go ahead now, please bow your head and pray with me for the offering. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all of the provision that you've given us in our lives, Lord. We know that every good thing comes from you, Lord, and we know that we're called back to give our first fruits to you, Lord, and to trust you with that. And so we ask you now, as the offering basket comes by, just to allow us to trust you, allow us to have open hearts, to just give generously and joyfully, Lord, and just remind us that all that we give will be used in your hands and multiplied in your hands to bring more people to your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.